Hello and welcome to the podcast series Raw Talent with me, Fiona Abrahams, where I am deep diving behind the scenes into the careers, aspirations and inspiration of the many talented and skilled individuals who enable the fashion and creative industries to feed our passion for clothing and product. Throughout this podcast series, I will be reaching out to the global community, looking at the industry through their eyes, asking people to share insights about the work they do, how they got started, their most compelling experiences, the trials and tribulations they have faced and overcome, who they have met along the way, the lasting friendships formed, the part culture plays in the work they do, and their thoughts on the future of the industry following this pandemic. Welcome to the second episode of our podcast series, Raw Talent, where I'm speaking with Konstantinos Sikos, who has a PhD in social anthropology and has worked in fashion since 1997 across buying, sales, product development and global trends. I could chat with Konstantinos all day. His career is an intriguing journey navigating the changing arenas of premium and fast fashion before heading in a more analytical direction with global trends. In part two of this episode, we will deep dive a little further into personalisation and storytelling, which is going to be an essential strength moving forward for all brands. Hello and welcome. Hi Fiona, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good, very well, thank you. Excellent. I was thinking, shall we kick off by um, sharing with everybody how we first met? I think we should. <laughs> Can you remember? <laughs> I can remember. We've, we've, met, we've met many, many years ago um, discussing a new position, I think. Uh, we're talking about many years now, right? And, yes. Uh, and then we got along so well and you did manage to place me in that position as well. Um, and then since, since then we just said, uh, you know, stayed in touch, uh, in touch, and we just, you know, get to talk to each other frequently and see how how we're doing. And this is for me super exciting, your know, new venture. I'm really happy to be part of it, and I'm actually looking forward to all the questions you have prepared for me. Oh. I, I promise, I promise, I'll do my best. <laughs> I'm not going to grill you. I promise. I will okay. all be very. <laughs> It'll all be very lovely, actually. So I think we should start with um, just telling people a bit about your background because you're Cypriot originally. And Correct. I think we should tell people where did you grow up and what inspired you to first work in the, in the fashion and creative industries, given that you actually studied social anthropology. So let's go back to the beginning and tell everyone the story. Okay, we're going to go back quite a few years now. So, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I, always remember, I always remember myself drawing and creating things and always uh, kind of being very interested in going through magazines and going through books and stuff. But also, I have a mother who is very interested in fashion and also uh, very informed about fashion and does have a great taste. So let's just say I was always exposed to uh, fashion. Now, uh, fast forwarding 
a few years. This is in Cyprus, just interrupting. This is in Cyprus, yes. Yeah. This is Nicosia, Cyprus. So oh, I was born yeah. and raised there yeah. and only moved to the UK when I was 22. You so actually, out there as well. You yes, oh. yes. Actually, my first degree uh, was in politics and sociology at the University yes. of Cyprus. Yes. So, um, which takes me actually back to the first job I've ever had was in Cyprus in fashion, right? The first job in fashion was okay. uh, back there. And it was for a, a very big British retailer who uh, ventured out firstly in Cyprus. It was almost like their first um franchise store so they had this massive store out there in Nicosia so I was 18 and I just walked into the shop and I asked to see the manager and I said to the manager I would like to work for you and she said why do you want to work for us so I told her about my passion and also the fact that I wanted because I was studying at a university which was very near my home I didn't get the opportunity to go away and be very independent, if you see what I mean. So yeah. in my mind, being independent meant to make some money and also being outside the homes because yes. I was staying with my parents when I was actually studying, right? I did the same. You've got a very yes. similar story to me, actually. Yeah. Which is, which is lovely and it's easy and it's very nurturing. Yeah. But at the same time, you're at that age where you want to be... Independent. Kind of yeah, and kind of, you know, formative years and you need to kind of create your own identity so when I walked in and I explained to her what I wanted to do she said right so how about we try you tomorrow and the position was you know on, on the shop floor doing sales and uh, for the menswear department because the actual store was so big it had menswear department women's wear kids wear I had the more kind of, can I mention names yeah it was French connection oh because that's actually yes. really interesting that they had a, a, a big store out in Cyprus. Big store, big wow. store. And also it was the 90s, which was a very good time for uh, the brand, for the retailer. It right? was, Back in the it 90s. was in its heyday. They had cosmetics, they had the perfume range, uh, they wow. had different, and, and the company had different brands like Great Plains and also they had Nicole Fari back in the day. So it was yeah. all under the same kind of roof. And of course, afterwards it, it changed. Um, but I started on the shop floor and then very, very quickly, uh, my manager and owner who was a very, we're still best friends to the day. Um, we became great friends. She allowed me to move around the shop, but then she also decided that it was, it was a good uh, opportunity for me to learn more things like visual merchandising, and window dressing and all these things were very specific and as in directed with a message from the UK, right? Mm. Um, and then after that, moved around different departments. So I've learned how to sell women's wear, kids' wear, men's wear, you know. But also, it was, it was a great time in my life because the money was, of course, great. And as a student, to make all that money is great. But yeah. also, very quickly, I moved on to managing departments and then also got involved in buying the mm -hmm. actual collections for the store because, clearly enough, they realized that different societies or different uh, countries have different cultures, right? Yeah. So it doesn't mean that the same collection will sell the same 
all over the world. Just to give you a little insight, I would never forget this. I would never forget this. I always smile when I think about it. The first thing I've heard is that I've learned, sorry, is that it's impossible to sell anything that is um, short sleeve in the winter in Cyprus. Yes, absolutely. Which is funny because when the first delivery was coming in August, it was 40 degrees outside and people would refuse to spend money on short sleeve t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, 40 degrees. <gasps> so you oh see how God. things are so different in different countries, right? They're so different. And then True. after I finished my degree, I had this opportunity to come to the UK, to London specifically, and do my master's degree in social oh. anthropology at the LSE. And yes. it was great because I came here with, you know, I had my, had my savings, but also I knew London from traveling for work. Yeah. So travel for work. Um, I can't believe how I did that, Fiona did studies and work full-time at the same time. Uh, now for me, it's almost impossible to do two things at the same time. Incredible, isn't it, when we're young, what we can do? Unbelievable. I remember myself <laughs> studying for an exam on the actual teal when it was quiet. It was so weird. Hilarious. Hilarious. So, yeah, I came here yeah. to do my master's and but then continued. Know, to interrupt you, I, yes. that's similar again to my story because I did. Mm. I studied at Epsom and I also held down a part-time job at the same time and the course was so relentless at Epsom. How I ever worked and studied, I have no idea. <laughs> I, remember, I remember you telling me about your experience there, which <gasps> sounded quite intense. Beyond. I mean, it was just the most... It was a. It was the craziest course. It was there was so much condensed into the time. They're literally just yeah. I've no idea how I did all that, but it, these things really are the making of you, though, aren't they? Is Absolutely. Away from it. Absolutely. Training, training, yeah. training. Right. It's yeah. all about training, and I think at the yeah. very young age, it's the best. And you know, if anyone are, if anyone is listening to us right now, we're starting, or is at the first stages of their career. Training is the magic word. Train yourself. Uh, uh, you know, learn, read. Uh, learning how it's to all about manage. That. Yeah, learning how to research, learning how to absolutely manage, learning how to interpret what you've researched, and and being true to yourself, being really true to what your take on a particular element of a project is. Um, you know, let your instincts guide you. I think. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm nodding very, away. Very good piece of advice. I'm nodding away. I know it doesn't come across <laughs> on a podcast, but I'm nodding away. <laughs> I agree 100%. Yeah, absolutely. So um, this kind of also answers my next question, which was what was mm. the driving force at the start of your career? So you kind of came here, you did your master's, and then how did you get, how did you get started? What was your first job? So, um, yes, so uh, after that, after my master's, which was the year I took off because it was a very intense course at the LSE and new things, new way of learning again. It was a different system, the British system to what I was used to back home. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how it, ha th these, these things happen. I'm sure Fiona, you agree with me that things sometimes fall into place Things that are meant to happen, happen. So, uh, oh, what, by themselves without you doing anything. Absolutely. Yeah, so absolutely. immediately, immediately I started 
um, I've started my PhD uh, out of recommendation, and then I moved to the to UCL to do my PhD in social, social anthropology. And then at the same time, uh, that friend of mine, the owner of of, of uh, French Connection back home, she changed her um, career, her direction, and oh. actually French Connection had given her um, had given her uh, the uh, the ability to to sell wholesale, right? So she was looking after. Oh lots of different territories, including Cyprus, but also Middle East. A lot of people would go to her. She had a French connection, a showroom in Nicosia. So she approached me and she allowed me, while I was doing my first year of PhD, to fly back home uh, during the sales season, right? So it was very specific, set in stone. And of course, I knew that I could do it, uh, luckily enough. And then I learned a different approach to sales, a big difference selling uh, B2C, right? Different to kind of deal with, with, with customers on the shop floor and completely different to, to deal with shop owners. Yes. Uh, right? And the way exactly. they, very different, which was, again, super exciting for me. Uh, I absolutely loved it. And French Connection was great when they were actually asking me to do it uh, in the UK as well after I had finished, I was finishing my PhD. I had yeah. made the decision that academia wasn't for me. Okay. I finished my PhD and then I went for an interview for another uh, British brand that was in the process of being bought by uh, a huge retailer in the UK. Can you say who it was? Um, we can definitely say who it was. Uh, it was for Lipsy and it was just before oh. uh, Next had bought it so when yeah so they were like they were they were looking to hire someone to help with the with the exports department so the new uh ceo of lipsy wanted to create exports because they didn't have no so they wanted only at the time it was a uk wholesale business correct it was a wholesale business and it was a very specific type of product very specific it had a very specific handwriting and a very interesting uh, wholesale model which had which meant that well what they used to do is have constant deliveries right so they would have every three four weeks new collection and -hmm. people come mostly cash and carry um, pay cash and carry, you know, get the collection, and then they started talking to lots of different big retailers, like the like of Assos and all these, you know, Asos and all these people. So when I was brought in, it was when they were thinking about expansion, and then straight straight away, uh, we realized that the setup wasn't going to help a wholesale model in Europe, right? Because our first attack in brackets yeah. was the European market. Okay. The, the handwriting wasn't necessarily right. Um, uh, straight away, we realized that very, very short dresses wasn't commercially viable for many territories yeah. in, in, in Europe. So Absolutely. slowly but surely, I don't want to bore you, but slowly, slowly but surely, we built um, uh, you know, a, a department that had its own co- in, different collection to the rest of the UK. You kind of uh, had an export collection. That's correct. Different territories that you were selling into. Where were their biggest markets at the time? 
um, if we were so lucky because it was at the right time. So we had yeah. a huge, uh, incredibly positive reaction to the collections and the actual brand. But then, you know, we, everything we did was we, we almost like started from scratch in the sense that even the marketing was set by us, the approach, the distribution channels, uh, each territory had different approach. Some territories were better for, uh, for uh, distributors, some others just for agents. Yeah. So it was a very, so of course we had, it was interesting because we had good reaction throughout Europe. So you're asking now which one was the best market and depending on the season really. One okay. season was Spain, yeah. One season was Spain. The other season was Germany. Amazingly okay. well in, in in Scandinavia, we did uh, fantastically well. We did in Cyprus and the Middle East wow. as well. well I was very surprised. very surprised. Yeah, I, I would never have thought Scandinavia would be a massive market for that kind of product. Just it was just the, yes, it was very yeah, it was different just, for them, I think, and something that within the Scandinavian market at the time, with it being a very kind of um, stripped back kind of style this would have been something they'd have really found fun because they i don't think they had anything like that did they correct correct no, so we tapped into novelty factor novelty we tapped into this ah. occasion occasion where or you know like in the middle east or, or scandinavia they have these like key moments scandinavia these um you know big white the white parties for example yeah uh, during the summer or christenings down south or weddings uh, you know, all these big events and there was a collection that was, as I said, very uh, designed differently. Yeah. The quality was a bit higher. So we used silks, leather. Oh, we I used wonder. a lot, exactly. Yeah. So it was incredible for them to be able to buy a silk dress with a lot of embellishment back then or very complicated uh, pattern making for 180, 150 euros. Yeah, absolutely. You know, for them, it was a, a great deal. So we they did They were really ahead well. of the curve, weren't they? When yes, we were. All the players yes. that you were. When you think about all the players that have come along since, actually, they, they really started that. They were very early on to, to yes. capture that moment and spot the opportunity and just obviously it just rolled organically they didn't really think about it which is amazing correct so, they had, but we, we, we did have the right people at the right positions which is something yeah. quite important Fiona you know that we talk about this oh, all yeah. the time we have lots of these conversations don't we <laughs> all the time so it's yeah. all about finding the right person for it the is. right job yeah. And build and being and, able and to work together and create something with a shared vision where everybody's on the same page and there's no Absolutely. rivalry or anybody trying to go on a mad power struggle and muscle people out. It's about that harmony within the team. Absolutely. And it comes and it's a two way uh, two way relationship, bottom up, uh, you know top down as well yeah um that's so that's why it worked oh, really cool. well it was uh, just a great moment or a great kind of synergy i don't know what happened and it just worked and it worked not only creatively but also uh commercially right because yes. you can do all these amazing things but if you don't get the money in the bank as we know yes. uh, brands start asking a lot of questions so i don't i don't i don't think i should be mentioning money but let's just say it was a huge immediate success. And then, of course, being under the umbrella of Next, 
allowed us to play around with a lot of more you know we had more things uh in our disposal you as had well. more resources didn't you more resources next really invested so yeah invested to, to be honest with you as well next uh, is a big retailer they don't understand wholesale they don't really see uh, the value in 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 wholesale as such no, so the margins they were, yeah but they were very they were Absolutely. They were very open, though, which is kudos to them. They were very open. Yeah, amazing. And they could see it worked and they could see that money was being made and it was profitable. Hmm. And then we slowly but surely moved towards the the recession, yeah. the big, big 2008, 2009 yeah, situation. Kind of it off, didn't it? <laughs> I say it was the moment the party stopped. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. That's definitely um, where the party stopped. That's definitely where the party stopped. Yeah. So everyone sh- shell shocked. Everyone, what are we going to do? Uh, you know, trying to figure out how the future is going to be. Uh, you know, cuts, cuts, cuts. Yes. Uh, suddenly, everyone is scared to try new things, and as you know, trying new things is very important in our industry. Yes. Whatever the situation is. You have to keep moving forward. Correct. Uh, So, yeah, it was a different story altogether. Okay. And then sort of following that, as your career unfolded, do you feel as though you um, actively guided your career trajectory or do you feel you've more reacted to opportunities in the market? Now, this question is very difficult to answer. It's a hard one, isn't it? It's a hard one. It's a bit of both in my case. Okay. I'm going to try and explain. that's the case for lots of people, though. I would imagine so. I'm going to try and explain. my experience, you know, there are people that are very um, much in control and they orchestrate their next move with great care and thought and consideration and only make a move when they feel the time's right. But for lots of people, circumstances around them change and they find themselves having to do something and having mm. to be reactive to mm. the situation. So, yeah, there's, it's very rare that there are people that never find themselves in a situation where they have to be reactive. Most people do have to be reactive at some point. Mm. Which is exactly, you described perfectly exactly what happened in my case. Uh, you know, it's a combination of reacting to what was happening, you know, the whole, you know, what I wanted to study and I wanted to do these degrees. And then at the same time, because I was doing these degrees, uh, these opportunities, uh, work opportunities will come up and I will grab them because it will fit into my schedule, into my kind of lifestyle. But then at the same time, some in some cases, I was very... Um, careful to kind of make choices that would build a trajectory I wanted to follow and what do I mean by that I would realize if I had any weaknesses or lack of knowledge let's just say I had lack of knowledge of of mass market I would like to put myself in a situation where I would learn about that or if I didn't have enough experience in menswear I wanted to put myself in a situation where I would learn more about that. It's all about this kind of chasing and learning, right? Yeah. So uh, in my case, it's been a combination of two. And as you said, I think for most people now, because I've done so many different things, so different types of working fashion, 
it allows me to be more playful with my choices and my kind of the way I see things, right? But if I was, let's say, a fashion designer specializing, I don't know, sports shoes or train, you know, training shoes, then there's only certain processes you can follow, right? Yeah, you're very much pigeonholed because you're doing one product category and with any of the specialist categories like accessories, footwear, there is a mission, (laughs) You're it's a mission is more difficult yeah. very difficult to, to move around yeah and, and it's a vocation people. as well due to the technicalities you do get people that do combinations of different things um mm. yeah it depends on what you specialize in like sneaker trainers generally do sneakers sneakers and that's, sneaker designers per- generally design sneakers and that's it yeah, that's science that's perfect science if you ask yeah. me so you know it is science <laughs> So, you know, it depends on what you're doing. But I think in my case, it, it would be a combination of both, both okay. um, factors. Yeah. And what have been the major learnings from your experience? Oh, Fiona, you keep on asking the, the difficult questions, oh, right? But, you know, if you could choose one or two things, what would, you know, what would sum it up? Because okay. I like what you've just said about the whole thing being very rounded and the fact that you've been able to dip your toe into lots of things which has meant that you're very informed and maybe that's led you to where you are now working in trend as a global mm, trend mm, expert because yes. you do have knowledge across a lot of different areas. Yes, absolutely. Um, thinking about it now, the first thing that comes to mind, I think it's something we already mentioned, something I've learned is our industry constantly changes, constantly, all, all the time. So it's very important to keep up. Definitely. It's very important to keep up. It's very important to mix things up. It's very important to innovate. And uh, this is something I've learned uh, through my different uh, positions, different jobs I've done. Uh, but also <laughs> something that comes to mind right now is politics, office politics, oh. um, Fiona, as are important as talent and hard work. Yeah. And you know this better than I do. Yes. Um, you need to learn how to navigate politics, right? You need to learn how to place your, yourself into the structure that exists in, in, in a new company you've just uh, joined. Uh, but as I said, you definitely know more about that than I do. Well, I think you've got some pretty good experience from uh, navigating that particular theme. So it's um, challenging. It's, it's challenging, challenging and it's important. Everyone, always, you you always. need to learn. You need to learn that just because you're amazing at what you do and it's only fair that you be treated a certain way, that doesn't always happen because they're politics that you're involved in. But also, uh, this is the, the other thing that I've learned and is connected to what we're just uh, saying, is to stop asking this really... Uh, it's a wrong question for me. Ask yourself constantly, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? That's the wrong attitude. I think what I've right. learned is better to actually ask, what can I learn from this? So this is happening yeah. to me. Why and what, what can I learn from it? I think my observation of this would be, I'll tell you a story. Um, mm. I, I've, on and off over the years, I, I've worked with Rafa I worked with Rafa when they were still quite small and growing and they came to me saying um, they needed to hire a head of production. Um, what an amazing brand. I think it was at the time. Yeah. And um, so we went on a mission 
to find, to, we worked with a very, very, very strict brief that was very specific in terms of the different tick boxes that we had to fill. So, and I had, I always get a really strong feeling when I'm talking to CEOs or business owners at the very beginning, I get a strong feeling for kind of what type of person it's going to be. It's very instinctive, just based on knowledge within the market. I can always, we always find the person we're looking for. If the company are really, the more certain a company are about what they need, the easier it is for me to find. And um, they gave us this really strict brief. We put together a short list of candidates, one of which was one of my old Nike candidates from back in the day, which is quite funny. And um, they then had to jump through a whole bunch of hoops to go through this interview process. I mean, it was just the most insane. It was one of the most rigorous interview processes I've seen next to Nike, um, where, yeah, the, the project brief, I mean, I had to guide the candidates through this project brief. It was so extreme. But they did the most amazing job, needless to say, they hired their man and he's still there, which is also amazing. And Kane did a fantastic job because he had, a bit like you, he'd worked across lots of different areas and he had a lot of different areas of expertise that he was able to bring together to support what they wanted to do. And then following on from that, they started to build out their product development department and they came, they, they hired a product developer th- through us a couple of years ago, came back last year and said, oh, we need, a, we need her maternity cover. She's, she's pregnant, she's, ha- she's having a baby. It was like, oh, that's amazing. And um, they said, um, can we just, can I just, the HR guy said to me, can I just tell you, she's the most amazing, she's the best candidate we've ever, ever hired. And mm. I said, wow, that's quite something why what what makes her so special and he said nothing is ever too much trouble she is an absolute ray of light she will do anything to help anyone she goes over and above her work is meticulous accurate fast she was actually given the custom range to look after which was their brand new range and it was a new department which meant she would be dealing with all the global teams around the world and a team could be anybody it could be your neighbors on your street that decided to create um a five-person cycling club and you want a rafa team kit for it that could be a custom range so she had this huge job to deal with all these different communities and she just did it with grace and still being able to work really proactively with her co-workers to help support them in what they did she was Mm. absolutely she's phenomenal and they just said you know we've we've never seen anything like it and thank you so much can we have another one (laughs) amazing amazing yeah because you know it's it's that having the right attitude and be open to you know it's it's about actually not looking at what you're taking it's about what you're giving i think it very much comes down to what can i give what can I do to be better? How can I make this situation work? How Absolutely. can I help this person? Um, and knowing when to not get involved, you know, sometimes there are things you can't influence. You just have to stand back and let things play out. And sometimes mm. the patience and the, the foresight to let that happen is also important. So mm. I think I, there are lots yes. of elements that come into play. Absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, which kind of leads me on to, I think you've answered what makes you great at what you do. Do you think you've answered what makes you great at what you do? What makes me great? God, okay. Um, well, okay, I'm not going to take, I'm going to be very, very diplomatic and say oh, that uh, what what has helped me is also my education and training. And what okay. do I mean by that? I've been trained as a sociologist and anthropologist and someone who studied politics as well to kind of listen, observe, and try to make the connections of different things, right? So there's a different arsenal I keep on borrowing from. These three very, very uh, important, um, you know, sociology, anthropology, and politics. Read the room. Very important for me to read the room, understand what you're dealing with. And then also... Uh, I mentioned connect the dots, right? Because there's so much information out there. So socioeconomic, so socioeconomic, constantly, socioeconomic, uh, you know, situations, um, psychology, popular culture, historical data, all these things. You might, you have to be able to connect the dots. And it's actually helping me more now that I'm more involved in, in forecasting, right? In, in, in tendencies. Uh, you see how elegantly I avoid the word trend. So, <laughs> with tendencies but also yes it's great to connect the dots but stay informed right stay informed and it, again is connected to the whole concept of constant change that we're experiencing so if i if i would answer that question what makes me great i would just say i was very privileged to have that training i had that's lovely i think that's i think there's a lot to be said for that what are the top three things that you're really good at? Oh my god! Okay, <laughs> analysis. Analysis. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to be more, more, more kind of uh, pedantic, but yeah, analysis is a good one. Uh, but oh. analysis. What do I mean by what, what do we mean by? I analyze everything that's coming my way, right? So, uh, especially when I'm dealing with predicting future tendencies or looking at consumer mindsets yeah. uh, and development industry insights or developments. It's all about analyzing and informing yourself with these things, right? Yeah. But then also what helped so much is that initial experience of face-to-face sales experience, right? Dealing with, with consumers. So that's really interesting that you then bring it back to the mm. personal side of things because I definitely feel that in this lockdown moment that we find ourselves in, it's really teaching us the value of human contact. We're so um, we're so overloaded with data. Everything's data, mm. data, data. And actually what people really crave is the human contact. Absolutely, absolutely. And if I had to actually mention one thing that I believe will change going forward from this experience we're having right now with, uh, with COVID-19 globally, uh, I think people are going to crave two things. And we can talk about this a bit later if you want, but I think it's very important to mention it here. They'll be craving two things. They'll be craving more experience, whether it's traveling or whether it's uh, educating themselves or training but also more contact with other human beings. And yeah. that will probably translate into a re... I'm not going to say resurrection is the wrong word, but we're going to see an increase again of the importance of the local store. 
right? Because Which what I do they also think is going to happen? I absolutely agree with you because I think it's bringing everything back to local. And I kind of feel like one of the biggest lessons in all of this is that as a country, we can be as as individual countries, mm. we have all got the resources to be self-sufficient. We can definitely share things, but for things like fashion, we can easily make it all here. We can easily sustain ourselves. We've got the manufacturing capability. We can do so much and as can every other country. And maybe that's going to set set off a chain reaction going forward and we are going to mm. see um, a shift, maybe. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. But what I think, what I think will be questioned, uh, I'm not saying, I'm not going to use any stronger words, but what will be questioned by consumers is this fast mass market fashion, yeah, for right? Sure. And, and this demand for constant newness and constant affordable fashion pushed a lot of companies to outsource Yes. Outsource design, outsource production, and so product development. But now if consumers are looking for more considerate design, more considerate product, it allows you to spend the time to create it, right? So yeah. slow down and also pull it back, bring it back closer. If it's not if it's not if it's not making something here in the UK, but definitely closer to us. Yeah. Whether it's Europe right. or just geographically closer yeah Um, because i think uh, we don't want to be completely insular and i think we're so we're such a diverse community in the uk and Mm. love our european neighbors and we share so many we share much so much common ground particularly in the fashion Mm. industry with them absolutely Um, absolutely it's been a absolutely symbiotic relationship between different fashion companies or you know fashion setups in, in europe yeah Watch this space, Fiona. Watch this space. I have a lot of ideas about theories about what could be happening after this, but maybe this is not of uh, perhaps of something we'll we should explore that in in, uh, in in another round of, of maybe maybe we should. Yeah, I think we should. I think that's a, a topic going forward for sure. And then coming back to kind of people, how would mm. you describe your management style? How do you like to manage people? I'm very analytic. I think we we <laughs> acknowledge that. Yeah. So I want to discover what are the strengths and the weaknesses okay. uh, of each member of the team. So uh, and concentrate on strengths. There's nothing worse than concentrating on weaknesses. What you can do with weaknesses is help them improve, right? But it's important to concentrate on the strengths of the yes, team member definitely. and also above everything for me it's super important to be a collaborative relationship yes teamwork teamwork is well, another way of talking in, about teamwork in short answer teamwork yeah that we makes all sense. learn we all learn and all teach each other from the uh you know True. someone who's just starting now to the to the ceo we all we in all a relationship absolutely yeah. so i prefer to concentrate on the positive and not on the negative. Very good. That's very important. And what would you? What are your observations on the most effective way to be influential? Hmm. Um, it, within a team, uh, because I'm a strong believer in that, you have to be knowledgeable, 
Yes. You have to be to be influential, that is right. You have to be knowledgeable. You have to be approachable. And above all, above all, I think you have to be human, humane. And all these three traits I've just mentioned translate differently in a sense that knowledgeable, being knowledgeable brings certain solutions, right? So it makes you influential in the team. Being approachable allows you to collaborate better with, with your team. So that creates even more opportunities. And then being humane and being approachable also creates a loyalty. Fiona, I don't know what you think about loyalty, but I think it's one of the most important uh, aspects of, of uh, teamwork. Very much so. I think it's absolutely critical. If there's no loyalty, then if the team falls apart. So, Correct. Yeah. You know, people that are there need to be there because they're passionate and mm. they believe in what they're doing. And if for some reason they don't, um, then they, you know, it's better for them to, to go, go off and find what it is that resonates for them. But loyalty is absolutely crucial. And loyalty also is um, not just loyalty to the team, but loyalty to the integrity of what you're doing. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, spot on. Yeah, absolutely. Really important. What was your best experience in your career? What would be your what would be your most standout moment? I'm not going to mention any names, and I'm not going to mention very specifics. But I think when I describe it, you know uh, which, uh, which what was it. But it was the best experience because it allowed me to flourish, to yeah. do a lot of things, had the freedom to be creative, but also the freedom to. Uh, you know, make something, you know, do, make, make something new. Uh, but what was actually even better was to see that all that effort and all that kind of freedom tra- being translated into a commercial success as well. In one of your jobs. So, that was the job before yeah. I met you, wasn't it? Uh, yes. So I, I, think, I think that freedom and this ability to create very important, very, very important in our industry, uh, yes. Fiona, because if you don't have the freedom to create, you know, yeah, one's many. Yeah, to be creative, actually, you need, you need quiet time. I think what another, another mm. um, learning that will come from the lockdown will be that people can be very, very resourceful, very creative when they're given space to do so. And, Spot on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I think that's also really key. Um, and I know for myself, you know, we're going to move to work from home model moving forward. Mm. And mm. just not having that, not being stuck in a dingy office um, without proper light. Um, I, can't, I can't wait not to have that again. It mm. will be, it's so much more inspiring to be able to stand in a well-lit room where you can come and go as you please, actually you're more productive. I think so. Um, I agree with you. Yeah. There's there's going to be very interesting things that will come from this. Mm. What was your worst experience? What was the thing that made you think, oh my goodness, um, you know, this is this is the wrong direction in the wrong place. This is this is not what I want. You know, as I said at the beginning, everything is a lesson, however. Everything is a lesson. And there's always good and bad. Yes. However, um, it had to do with the people, right? Okay. Interesting. Uh, it comes back yes. to people. Yes. You, 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 
being an anthropologist, always I pay too much, maybe too much attention to to the human factor. However, but we shape everything. So the human factor is is the essential part, the the essential component. So if you don't have the right people, you don't get the right results. Yes. So from a couple of my really bad experiences had to do with people who had no vision. However, they're in positions requiring vision, right? Or there were people with no industry knowledge. However, they believed that they knew everything. Okay. And no one knows everything. (laughs) However many years experience you've had, no one knows everything. So I would say worst experience when I was, coming face to face with these obstacles because in my mind these are obstacles um so yes i would how, say that how was. could you overcome that did you have a situation where you were did you just make a change in order to sort of avoid you know me I'm, I, I, I you know me i'll try and try and try and try and non-stop yeah. right uh, yeah. until i i can't because, take it any further <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> but I would say I would say I would say that in these cases, the time was right to move on. Yeah, and when the time is to move on, you move on. Obviously, yeah. if you can, and I understand that a lot of people out there maybe listening to this podcast, uh, you know, have economic concerns. Who's going to pay the rent? Who's going to yeah. you know all these things? And understand that not everyone can just quit, resign, yeah. move on, Thanks and find something, something straight away. Absolutely. Yeah. So I respect that. I have However, conversations with people. It's the it's the biggest reason why pe- why people change jobs. It will always be to do with somebody that either has been brought into the company or moved within a business, or they've taken a role. And what was how it was sold to them in the interview is then not how the the story played out. I'm smiling. I'm smiling because I recognise. <laughs> no, I hear this. Yes. <laughs> Which is exactly, yeah. exactly in these worst case, this worst, not case, but these worst uh, situations that I've experienced. Yeah, uh, it always, everything case. comes down to people, always. Always, yeah. always. You get one bad egg and it causes destruction. And it's often a case of how long will it, you know, it's amazing how long the bad eggs can be kept in companies without management taking Politics. Action. Oh, it's incredible. Politics. Yeah, sometimes they're oblivious and they just don't realise or sometimes they just uh, don't know what to do. And so they just let it carry on. Which Again, <laughs> absolutely. And again, why, not why is this happening to me? It's not happening to you, it's happening to everyone within that yeah. environment. What, do, what, what can I learn from it? So yeah. is this situation that is very challenging, teaching me something about myself or the way yeah. I do things or the way I approach things? Yes, no depending on the answer you learn you change and if you know and then yeah. you move on as you said because and it's to do uh, with how companies are set up as well you know the best places to work for are the ones that just have a very good open door policy where they don't actually these situations don't arise because things are managed so well if everybody feels part of the team and everybody feels empowered and everybody mm. feels like they have influence and a voice and, mm. and they can speak up you avoid lots of these things. So there are definitely ways to to, to circumnavigate it for sure. And there are businesses that do it very, very well. Um, Mm. Who was your most inspiring manager? Um, Have you ever worked for anybody who was just amazing? I have, I have. And we're still, I'm not going to mention, obviously, 
one of my best friends who gave me the first opportunity I mentioned at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, definitely learned. Yeah, le- definitely learned a lot from her. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna just remember another manager of mine who taught me probably my managing uh, style, which okay. was all about acknowledging the weaknesses and and strengths. But then instead of being very judgmental, very critical of your weaknesses, yeah. help you improve. Right. Yeah. And then, and then also, um, what I appreciate about them uh, was the fact that they were not micromanaging, which for me is the worst uh, thing a manager can that. do. Yeah, everybody it's the worst thing. And it actually has to do with confidence, right? So it, it, yeah, it destroys oh, and trust. It is, correct. It destroys your yeah. confidence, but also yeah. it's be, a micromanager because it's not confident themselves. Yeah, and it gets the opposite result. Correct, correct. And also they were very human. Understanding, understanding that people have personal lives. That's good. Uh, people have, you know, relationships, they have needs, they have, you know, it was, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot, which I, to, to, to this day I'm actually implementing when I manage people. That's fantastic. And who would have been your least, what, what did you, what were the takeaways from the least inspiring boss? Mm, micromanager. Okay. Micromanager, vanity, uh, not a team player, not a team player. Okay. So this is a toxic combination, if you ask. Sorry, that's because, very difficult. Um, micromanagement doesn't allow someone to flourish. No. Personal vanity takes away from uh, the actual end goal, because if the end goal is just so you feel good about yourself, then what about the team spirit or team playing, right? And of course, if you put these three things together, it's probably different sides of the same personality. So I would say that would definitely be certain traits to keep an eye out for, but also when recognized, trying to manage it because it's very important uh, within a team. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's very good advice. Mm. And... We're kind of drawing to a close. Many industries are being impacted by coronavirus. In a perfect world, how will the fashion landscape look on the other side? Oh, wow. Um, I think we can actually talk about this for hours. And maybe we should do this. Yeah, maybe we should do do the second. Yeah, we'll do another another round and we'll, we'll go into that in much more detail. But in a snapshot, in a snapshot, what, yes. So what can we expect to see? I would definitely going to see changes. The people who say that it's going to be back to normal in a couple of months, but everything is not going to be in a couple of months, but in the future, whenever everything goes back to normal bracket, in brackets, you know, I'm doing the bracket thing, I know you can't see me, but I think that what will be left with is a consumer as mentioned this before who will be prioritizing even more experience over clothes or possessions yes now, so which means that the pie you know of, of, of what consumers or the money the consumers have to spend our, our pie the, the the piece of the pie that is given to apparel or fashion generally it's going to become smaller and smaller and smaller yeah. So what I think that will mean is that 
consumer will look for more considerate products, yeah. whether that's coming from a company that has a very conscious or ethical approach to things, or whether it's something that is not a throwaway piece. So this approach to fashion that we've experienced the last 15, 20 years, I call it a supermarket uh, fashion. And I don't mean by that being sold in supermarkets. Fast fashion. Fast fashion, everyone does does the same thing, the same exactly style, but competing only with price. So I'm going to sell you this kind of dress for 15 pounds, but I'm going to sell it for 14 pounds. I'm going to sell it for... This is going to be... I think something of the past. Yeah. Um, then we've we've been monitoring, or I've been monitoring these new consumer emerging the last few years. You can call them Gen Z, you can call them millennials, whatever. But I, what COVID has done, and this kind of isolation and um, the situation we find ourselves in right now, is so it accelerated their uh, kind of emergence, right? So they become more and more prominent. And these people, uh, these consumers, I'm going to be looking for more considered products. Yeah, so more discerning consumers. So it's kind of gone full circle back towards investment pieces. There'll still need to be a value element attached to fashion, but people will be much more conscientious about what they throw away, how they they use things, how much they buy, is what you're thinking. And the big... Yes, and the big retailers and and, and the big brands, uh, if we if we set aside the consumer for a second, they'll be experiencing a, a big disruption, and all models will not help them get out of it. They need to innovate. They need to uh, disrupt. Um, and then I think that this is the right time for a more developed collaboration scheme across different elements of the industry. Right. Um, think outside the box and the person who manages to think outside the box and kind of bring this into their uh, strategy, I think are the ones that are going to get out of this less wounded because they were going to be a kind of wound, uh, unfortunately, but it's going to be less impactful. Yeah, makes sense. I understand that. And finally, who is your dream brand to work for? If you could pick one company that you would love to work for, who would that be? And who would be the three people you would want to have in your team and why? Mm. So I'm not going to mention any names. I'm going to give you more kind of uh, a description of this company. Uh, It's going to be, it is a small to medium size. Yeah. Contemporary, multi-product. Yeah. Unisex brand. Yeah, that has design in, uh, in its center, but also a very clear message. Okay, uh, and it has a very specific se- segment of the market. Specialization is very important uh, because it allows you to be even more creative, right? Yes, and also I, 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 I it would be great. It has a very clear handwriting, but also very importantly, having a very kind of sustainable or ethical outlook from sourcing to production. And I think that is uh, something, because it brings, for me, for me, it's great kind of setup because it brings lots of different elements that I value personally. And I know that I'll be able to uh, have an input as well. Now, with regards to who I would hire, what kind of personalities, that's what you mean, right? What kind of personalities? No, choose actual people that you would hire. So just think of all the people in the world. They could be celebrities. 
They could be people you've worked with. It could be an ex-manager. It could be someone you know through the industry. It could be somebody in a different industry. It could be absolutely anyone. Um, within the design room, I would definitely hire someone like Ralph Simmons because okay. I believe he's one of the most creative, out-of-the-box thinkers out there. However, I would like to also introduce someone who is a bit more commercial. Commercial yeah. might not be the right word, but someone who's more... Um, you know, closer to uh, the practicality of things, right? When yeah. it comes to design. I think a combination will be beautiful, a beautiful combination between that. Um, then for sales, I have someone in mind. I'm not going to mention any names. Okay. Someone, uh, um, uh, you know, I've worked uh, with them. And why she's so great is because she not only she reads a lot, and she knows about what's happening globally within our industry, yes. different segments as well. But she's also very, very good at coming up with new ideas. Fantastic. This, this is what's happening today. What can, we, what can we create? What kind of package? What kind of service? Yeah. Uh, because, you know, I've actually, I, we didn't mention this, uh, Fiona, but right now for the last couple of few years, I've, I've removed myself from retail uh, and, and, and kind of wholesale brands and I'm more into agencies, right? I'm working for agencies. Yes. So I've seen right. a completely different uh, approach to things. Yeah. So um, industry through a different lens. Correct. It's all this kind of creating a package, a service yes. that is going to be suitable for lots of different types of clients out there. Yeah. So this person has the ability of doing that very successfully. Excellent. And then, and then um, when it comes to, do you know what, who you also need in, in your company? Someone who's extremely organized. You do. Organized. Organization is key. Absolutely. And yeah. someone who, uh, I'll call them uh, Excel spreadsheet wizards or, yeah. or you know, uh, women or men who are incredible. Somebody who's very methodical. Who can you need just- that bring everything together absolutely it's very fashion needs that fashion needs that it's great to have it's great to have creatives out there it's also very important to have people who are grounded yeah so you need both you need i I always joke i say you you need earth and water in a in a in in, in a a team yeah fire as well maybe a little bit of fire yes a little bit of air absolutely more earth you need the air because exactly. you need it to move. Exactly. And you need the water so you've got the flow. Correct. Correct. <laughs> That's a nice place, big note to end on, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much. We will definitely do another one. Such so, a pleasure. I had such yeah. a great time talking yeah, about about experience. I know. Um, Fiona, we don't talk a lot about experience. We don't. Right? No, we, we need don't. to talk a bit more. I do. I had, I do. Do. I, I, do with, do. I do with candidates. But yeah, that's why, I mean, that is the inspiration behind this. Absolutely. For people to hear what I hear when I talk to you is amazing. And it's inspiring. I, I agree with you. And I think that people have to learn that what they have in front of them uh, as a candidate is a complete person, right? With experience. Absolutely. So ticking the box of who have they worked for how long have they worked for therefore all these things are so 
old fashioned and I something, know. you know, I tell you all the personality, doesn't it? Yes. It always comes down to personality. And it's, it's interesting, actually, while we've been on lockdown, we, we have a, a talent management system called Team Taylor. They've um, mm. launched video while we've been on lockdown, which I think is very cool. So because uh, everything we do, all our calls are always video calls. I don't ever speak to anybody just on a straight phone call. Everything is a video call because you have to get to know people. And it's in seeing them, chatting to them, that you really get a feel. And that's always what we try and convey. So, And I've experienced this uh, with you. And it was, I, uh, I told you, it was the first time that I actually felt that someone was listening and paying attention instead of ticking boxes. Absolutely. Those phone calls from different headhunters and different these questions, and you know, you're all using the same questionnaire. How about you meet me? You know, yeah. let's grab a coffee and, and then find talk. out what you're about and what inspired your experience and how you've come to do what you're doing. Absolutely. 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 It's the most important thing. Yeah, I hear lots of this feedback from people. So, I agree. Great, yeah. great stuff. Well, thank you. Thank you again. And we will end this one and we will plan the next one. Pleasure. It was such fun. Thank you so much, Fiona. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. Constantinos teaches us how interlinked the world is. He is a sponge soaking up all the influences around us. He takes analysis and fact as a foundation to create product direction and has a strong vision as to how trends will work in our post-COVID-19 world, which we will explore in part two of this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, join me next time when I will be speaking with Diane Elgar about her journey in garment manufacturing from the north of England to Bangladesh. And if you are enjoying the series, hit the subscribe button to receive notifications on upcoming episodes where you'll get to hear first-hand insights from